Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 412, recorded on Sunday, May 14th, 2023. Whying the fi again, I'm Moss. Didn't get shot, I'm Joe. Sweet mama, I'm Bill. Buying pies for his girlfriend, I'm Majid. First up in the news, Mint News for April, Mozilla Thunderbird is adding paid features and services, Raspberry Pi OS updates, sudo and su get rusty, FlatSeal gets GTK4, new framework laptop gets Ryzen 7040 series, Kingston firmware contains lyrics, YouTube tests blocking adblock, Star 5's Vision 2 RISC-V gets Ubuntu, and Microsoft wants Firefox to switch to Bing. In security and privacy, India bans open-source messaging apps, quote, for security reasons, end quote. Then in our wanderings, Bill tells a story, Joe gets political, I conquered Wi-Fi, and Majid goes back in time. In our innards section, Majid is still typing, but we will talk about interstep... <clears throat> yeah. In our innards section, we talk about internet scams and Pymega. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. All right, in the news. Mint news for April. And this is from blog.linuxmint.com via Londoner. We mention some of the upcoming changes in theming for Mint 21.2 Victoria in episode 410 four weeks ago. In his latest blog post, Clem talks about more changes on the way. Tooltips and notifications will use account colors to, quote, be beautiful and noticeable. An update in Ubuntu's shim-signed SIC broke the compatibility of all Linux Mint and passed Ubuntu and derivative ISOs with Secure Boot. If because of this you are unable to install Linux Mint, it is recommended to disable Secure Boot. The team is currently working on a fix for future ISOs. An Edge ISO release with kernel 5.19 is due this summer or winter if you're in South Hemisphere. LMDE 6 is on the way, based on the upcoming Debian 12, set for release in June. With a, up to a month separating the Mint 21.2 and the LMDE 6 release releases, work continues on hardening the security aspects of Warpinator. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I've noticed that problem with the secure boot a couple of times. Um, and I've had to go in and disable it just to get it installed. But I mean, most of us are doing that anyway, I think, unless it gets we're to be too much of a booting. pain to have the secure. It does. So, okay. Mozilla Thunderbird is adding paid features and services. This is from how to geek and it was provided by Londoner. Uh, Mozilla has been ramping up work on its Thunderbird email client over the past two years with another major update planned for later this year. Mozilla has now confirmed that additional features and services are in the works that will cost money. 
The Thunderbird team released its 2022 financial report May 9th, outlining how the project's income increased by 21% compared to 2020. Almost entirely thanks to user donations that has helped pay for an expanded team cleaning up Thunderbird's code and interface and turning Canine Mail into a new Thunderbird app for Android devices. Mozilla is still expecting most of the work to pay off in our 2024 release, with some improvements appearing in Thunderbird 115 Supernova update coming this year. There is one surprise in the financial report, confirmation that Mozilla is working on paid features for the mail client. The blog post explains Thunderbird is also expanding beyond the core experience you already use. We've been exploring additional sources of revenue in the form of new tools and services to increase your productivity. We're planning to introduce some of these in beta status later this year. Rest assured that we have no plans to charge money for the powerful Thunderbird experience you enjoy today nor do we plan to remove features and charge for them later. It's not a surprise that the Thunderbird team is working on paid features since many of the changes going into the Mail app have direct infrastructure costs, like Firefox Sync support. Beyond the usual development costs, it could also help keep Thunderbird around for the long haul, as many people are willing to pay outright for features and services who might otherwise never donate to the project. Mozilla hasn't shared any details about the paid features, so we can only speculate for now. It might be interesting to see Thunderbird partner with a hosted email service like Fastmail on a packaged product or perhaps a paid version in the Mac and Windows app stores. Like LibreOffice, Mozilla already offers a VPN service that integrates with Firefox. So of the 30 current Thunderbird users, three of them might be able to pay for these services? Yeah. Well, if they were to add something to entice, um, like, politicians or people that are doing like um mass mailings things like that because um google limits how many people you can um cc in one email so if you could set something up pay for 10 bucks a month 20 bucks a month where you can email 100 150 people i could see that working out really well or 300 700 whatever the number is i know a lot of people poo poo on uh Mozilla for their constant, constantly evolving effort to uh, monetize their developers need existence. paid too. Yeah, no, it's yeah, absolutely they need paid, and Google is paying them less and less yeah. as their uh, uh, search stuff is going down, and the income at Google is going down, and uh, they've got to do something to stay alive. I mean, they're kind of in between a rock and a hard place in a sense. First of all, they are. Um, yeah, they have to, you know, they have to keep the lights on. They have to keep a, they have to have a business model, a sustainable business model. Yeah, at the same time, you know, they're this great free and open source advocate. Um, and I think definitely the community has higher expectations of them, probably unrealistic expectations of them. It doesn't help that they've been a bit um, scattergun in their uh, approach over the last couple of years, you know, with the phones and the other services and things like that, rather than concentrating on, uh, the browser. So it's a difficult situation for them. Um, to be completely honest, I think, um, you know, lights have to stay on. If you're in a, And, you know, just because something is uh, open source doesn't mean it has to be free. Right. You and know? all the people uh, complaining about, you know, the additional costs that you get here and there with, with Mozilla, I mean, they're going to be the same people that are complaining when Mozilla, you know, 
caves in a couple of years and doesn't exist anymore because nobody wanted to donate. Mm, exactly. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, you, you can sit and complain as much as you want. And then when it goes away, then you'd be complaining a little bit more. And people have shown they won't pay for a browser. And on top of that, even their VPN, uh, uh, Moldad gets most of that money. Well, it was kind of the. I was going to mention that because I do, I do pay for the Mozilla VPN service, and I've, you know, it, it actually doesn't even uh, perform quite as well as the thing I was using before. But I keep doing it. I want Mozilla to get something, but you know, I need to be getting some kind of value out of that as well you know well and then you know a lot of people's answer is they can get it from ad revenue but then everybody uh, blocks ads yeah because the yeah. ads are so intrusive well so, let's move along imagine yeah, opinions yeah. abound yeah so moving on, on so raspberry pi os updates with new kernel on chromium so this is from nine to five linux the raspberry pi foundation released today a new version of their official raspberry pi os distribution for raspberry pi computers that brings updated components, bug fixes, and various performance improvements. The biggest change in Raspberry Pi OS 03-05-2023 releases the kernel bump from the long-term support Linux 5.5 LTS to the long-term supported 6.1 LTS. Hopefully, this should translate to better performance for your Raspberry Pi. In fact, existing uh, Raspberry Pi users uh, were already running, often are already running Linux kernel 6.1 LTS if they execute the rpi-update command in the terminal emulator. But now 6.1 LTS is the default kernel on the new images that you can download from the official website if you plan on installing this on your Pi. Various apps have been updated in the new OS release. The most important one is Chromium 113, which is the default browser. Not only does it include the latest security updates, but Chromium 113 release brings web GPU support by default, which may improve the performance of web apps and your overall browsing experience. Hmm, that'll be interesting. Let's see if that's mm. true. Web apps will be good if they can make that better. Also included are Raspberry Pi Imager 1.74, Real VNC Viewer 7.0.1.48981. Just rolls off the tongue, that does. Real VNC Server 7.0.1 point something. Mathematica 13.2.1 and MATLAB 23.1.0. Another interesting update included in this release is the updated VLC hardware acceleration patch, which should offer you better performance when playing video files. The lip camera and lip camera apps components have been updated as well as well to improve IMX296 sensor tuning, improve the handling of audio resampling and encoding using the libav library, improved the performance of QT preview rendering, improved thumbnail rendering, add support for 16-bit Bayer in the DNG writer, add handling of generalized statistics and address an overflow issue that would cause incorrect calculations in the algorithm. Also updated is the Pi Camera 2 library, which received an MJPEG server example that uses the hardware MJPEG encoder, an example showing a preview from the two cameras in a single QT app, the ability for the H.264 encoder to accept frame in time intervals for SPS headers, advertise the correct profile level, support constant quality parameters, as well as to add EXIF date time and date time regional tags. Handful of bugs were addressed as well, including an occasional segfault in the CPU temperatures plugin, an X11 server crash that occurred when changing the screen orientation, as well as X11 server DPMS not working, and some new language translations have also been added. I, in the past, am I correct in saying that Firefox was the default browser? Yeah, Raspberry. because Chrome would not run on a Pi. 
So it's interesting that, time. yeah, so it's interesting now that Chrome does, well, Chromium. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the performance of that is like, because we all know that Chromium is uh, notorious for being a bit of a memory hog. Yeah, it is a bit of a memory hog, but um, for the longest time, Chromium with uh, Silverlight was the only way to be able to do things like um, run Netflix, Netflix or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Prime Video, or basically any of your streaming services. So mm-hmm. They actually had a specially set up version of Chromium for streaming. So, yeah, I mean, I did install it. I did use it. But um, there were also, like, variants of Firefox. What, you mean like I- the Waterfox and those things? Yeah, Ice, Ice, Ice Weasel. Weasel. Labor Wolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the uh, uh, ARM chip? Because I'm running Firefox just fine on my uh, i5 computer. It was an i3 previous. Uh, I, I'm doing streaming all the time on it. I'm no, not it sure. absolutely is because of the ARM chip. Because, yeah, I, I stream almost everything on Firefox on an x86 system, and it works yep. just fine. And I run it on one of these pies over here and nothing until you go and get hacky with it and that's that's always been kind of the well limitation yeah, that's one reason i went and got a 386 uh, 586 whatever it are i uh, do remember having the same problems with um like older netbooks but um <clears throat> some of that i think was the 32-bit and then some of that yeah. was they were like intel atom processors or something on some of them so it'll be interesting if this <sighs> evolves into something you know to where we've got parity in terms of uh, streaming abilities with with these raspberry pi well uh, os's or things it it would have to be the streaming companies themselves that uh, did a little tweaking to their code because it's all security stuff that prevent from working there and there's no real incentive for them because the uh markets are there so small and eventually you know someone will find a workaround like they did with Chromium. But moving on, <clears throat> Sudo and Sue are being rewritten in Rust for better security. And this is also from Pharonix. Uh, with the financial backing of Amazon Web Services, Sudo and Sue are being rewritten in the Rust programming language in order to increase the memory safety for the widely relied upon software. A team from Pharos Systems and Tweed Golf with financial support from AWS, have been um, rewriting Sue and Sudo in Rust to further enhance Linux open source security. Everything's getting rewritten in Rust these days. It is. Details <laughs> no. on this effort can be found via memorysafety.org. The in-development Rust code can be found via Sudo RS on GitHub. The milestone page outlines their plans and goals for the effort. So here we've moved away from Rust in our drives and we're moving towards it in our software. Oh, he's on fire, kids. Did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody I, I can't put him out. With that. I think we're going to see the kernel in Rust in the next 10 years. Maybe. Honestly. And I'm not a developer, so I couldn't tell you what the advantage is. And then 10 years later, we'll, we'll, we'll see a programming language called Rust Remover. <laughs> It'll all be, and then AI we'll have generated. a new program called WD forty to make it run smoother or, or antioxidant. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, Flat Seal two released with GTK four and Libadweta from OMG Linux. 
When it comes to managing Flatpak app permissions, there's no better tool for the task than FlatSeal, and this nifty utility just received a big update. FlatSeal 2.0 rolls out a refreshed UI making full use of GDK4 and LibEdWeta. You're not going to correct my pronunciation, guys? The app looks What's wrong more with in keeping... Weta? Well, you always correct it when I say live ad waiter, which it should be. Well, you didn't. You didn't say. <laughs> I just live thought. Adwaita. Yeah, if I said you it said right, it you right correct me the other way. No, <laughs> no, that's not how this works. <laughs> the the app looks more in keeping with the modern GNOME desktop and is deft at adapting to smaller screen sizes, with the app contracting into portrait-friendly proportions where required. This release is also said to improve the app in other areas, such as typing to search for applications and offering autocomplete of XDG directories in related fields. The latter change will be appreciated by developers regularly needing to fine-tune file system access. In all, a welcome set of updates to an app that no self-confessed Flatpak fan should be without. Want more details on FlatSeal 2.0? Read developer Martin Abent's blog post. You can find FlatSeal on FlatHub, or if you have it installed already and it hasn't updated yet, run Flatpak update to upgrade to the latest release. Note FlatSeal 2.0 uses the GNOME 44 runtime. If this isn't installed, it will be downloaded. Runtimes are large downloads, but multiple apps can make use of them, so they only need to be downloaded once. Still keep this in mind if installed on a capped connection. A follow-up release is on the way that makes use of more LibAdWeta widgets and perhaps and adds perhaps the most requested feature, being able to detect when apps have been installed or removed or updated while the app is open. So look out for that. Flat Seal is so necessary. It basically should come with Flat Pack package. That's just my opinion. Well, if it requires GNOME 44, I might be against that. Um, incidentally, whoever's doing the sound editing, there was some sounded like crackling cellophane or something in somebody's mic during that story. Uh, I had mine muted, so it wasn't me. Mm. I was talking, so it wasn't me. <laughs> you can't talk and crackle at the same time, Moss? No, I, I am uh, un incapable of doing multitasking. Oh. Majid, why don't you carry on from here? Okay, then. So, we're now going over... Onto hardware. So, Framework Laptop gets Ryzen 740 series. So, this is from the Framework blog. When they announced the Framework Laptop 13 AMD Ryzen 740 series at the Framework Next Level event in March, they were only able to share a very limited set of information on what was powering it. With the processors now officially unveiled by AMD, they're able to share much more detail. So, they're using Ryzen 5 764. 40U and Ryzen 7 7840U processors, both of which offer allegedly incredible CPU and GPU performance. They're pre-orderable today, is that a word? With batches shipping as early as Q3 this year. The Ryzen 5 7640U processor has six CPU cores clocked at a base frequency of 3.5 GHz and up to a max boost of 4.9 GHz, while the Ryzen 7 7840U has eight cores and 16 processing threads clocked at a base of 3.3 GHz and up to 5.1 GHz max boost. Holy moly! These are all Zen 4 cores, which feature AMD's fastest uh, processor technology ever, and they're fabricated on TSMC's 4 nanometer process node, meaning that even with such high performance, they're allegedly extremely efficient. 
They've designed the thermal system to be able to handle pro the processors at up to 28 watts continuous load if you need to do some heavy crunching as well. Ryzen powered framework laptop users are also in for a treat when it comes to graphics performance. The Ryzen 7040 series processors feature the latest AMD Radeon 700M series graphics, the first AMD RDNA 3 based integrated graphics. The Ryzen 5 7640U has Radeon 760M graphics with 8 compute units, while the Ryzen 7 7840U has a Radeon 780M graphics with 12 compute units. This means that the Framework Laptop 13 Ryzen series can handle a range of modern games as well. And if you want to use an eGPU, whatever that is, you can do that too. This is because the Framework Laptop 13... External. Ah, okay, I got you. External GPU, that makes sense now. This is because the Framework Laptop 13 has two fully capable USB 4 ports with the back left and back right expansion card slots. The front left expansion card slot can handle both USB 3.2 and DisplayPort Alt mode, while the front right expansion card can use USB 3.2. This does mean there is one expansion card slot that can't support the HDMI DisplayPort expansion cards, and most OSs will provide a warning if you forget. You can charge your framework laptop through any of the form 4 expansion cards as well. You can upgrade your existing 11th or 12th gen Intel Core framework laptop using the new mainboard and you can use the mainboard as a standalone computer, putting it in the Cooler Master mainboard case or 3D printing your own. If you're upgrading your framework laptop to the new mainboard, remember that you'll need DDR5 SO DIMMs up to DDR5 5600 along with a Ryzen compatible RZ616 or similar Wi-Fi card. I really want a framework laptop. <laughs> I just love this. It's, yeah, a, it's the like price the old is days. out of my range, but considering yeah. over time it would get cheaper. Yeah, I mean that's the only thing. The, the, the price is the issue, but I mean you know the idea of because we've we've gone back so much, you know, from the upgradability that most uh, computers were back in the day. You know, with soldered RAM and soldered things on motherboards. You know, this is like the complete and utter opposite. And yeah, it just sounds great, but yeah, I suppose you pay for that, don't you? I suppose it's back to the whole, mm -hmm. um, back to the thing about Mozilla that we were saying as well. You know, the lights have to stay on, don't they? Um, and so, you know, even though the, you know these guys are really going, you know, forward with the idea of upgradability and sustainability and reducing e-waste and stuff like that, that costs money. And so, um, I suppose that's the. Uh, extra that you have to pay having said that i think i did look at a couple of frameworks and because basically you know if you're not using windows which most of us on here aren't going to be we get a little bit of a discount because we're not getting the windows license for it and so then it becomes a little bit more uh competitive in price it's still expensive but it's a little bit more well, competitive it used to be that uh, windows would subsidize that cost and paying for windows you'd actually pay less mm-hmm I don't know how true that is anymore, though. Anymore. It didn't seem to... But back in the day, that's the way it was. Yeah, yeah, back in the day, Microsoft was trying to make their money off of their apps, not their operating right. system. Anyhow, and I am one of few humans on Earth who remember why Moly is holy. Why is Moly holy? Um, Moly? Remember, remember in the uh, Odyssey where uh, most of Odysseus's crew got turned into pigs? Yeah. By the witch? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moly is the herb that turned them back to humans. Ah. Learn something new oh, every day. That don't you? was so obscure as it gets right there. <laughs> I... Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. I can, I can get more obscure. Don't you wait. Oh, yes. 
Majid and I will take you places you've never gone before. Oh, oh! so you found a kindred spirit, have you, Moss? <laughs> Man, I'm full of irrelevant information. I'm full of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought you were, well, let's move on then. I thought uh, you were talking about Coldplay, Moss. I thought you were talking about mole uh, sauce. <laughs> that, mole is a different thing. That's not mole. Anyhow, uh, we, we, we've had our mythological lesson for the day, so let's move on. Coldplay lyrics hidden in Kingston SSD firmware from Bleeping Computer. What has firmware got to do with pop rock, you ask? That's the question that crossed a security researcher's mind as he analyzed Kingdom's, Kingston's firmware and stumbled upon the lyrics of a popular Coldplay song buried deep within it. The researcher, surprised by this finding, reached out to the bleeping computer disclosing the details of the firmware version and the Coldplay song. There was a graphic that went with this article that clearly showed it off the, the right side panel. You're seeing the lyrics scrolling over in the right. Um, anyhow, the researcher was surprised by that. I did that one. Kingston is a household name known for its flash memory products, including hard drives, USB drives, and card readers. I'm using a Kingston A400 SSD in this machine as I speak. Iowa-based security researcher Nicholas Stark reached out to Bleeping Computer after he analyzed a few bytes of an SSD controller firmware distributed by Kingston that left him astonished. Available on Kingston's official support website at the time of writing, the zip file contains a little more than just firmware, a type of software that provides low-level control functionality for the device's hardware. While the contents of the zip file hardly raise an eyebrow and contain release notes along with a working firmware uh, star.bind file, it's what's inside the .bind that you can't unsee. Quote, I found Coldplay lyrics in SSD controller firmware, end quote, Stark told Leaping Computer after analyzing Kingston firmware versioned SKC2000 underscore S2681103. Firmware versions SKC2000 Asterisk, typically run on Kingston's PCI Express solid-state drive products, such as the KC2000. Released in January 2020, the specific version, S2681103, delivers improvements to Kingston's data storage, hardware, performance, and security. Bleeping Computer downloaded the firmware file from Kingston's official website and confirmed... My screen just jumped. Oh, we're here. Um, and confirmed... Okay, Bleeping Computer downloaded the firmware file from Kingston's official website and confirmed that it contains strings comprising lyrics of Coldplay's 2002 hit, The Scientist. I have absolutely no clue why it is in the firmware, Stark, a seasoned reverse engineer who is picking apart the file for his research project, told Bleeping Computer. I've seen many firmware images in my time and this just seemed out of place, said the researcher, who had missed and ever seeing anything quite like it, especially in deeply embedded component firmware, a hard disk, hard disk controller like this one. Do these hidden lyrics serve any functional purpose, for example, as sample data for testing, or is it a mere prank by the company developers? Yeah, I know what everybody's thinking. Is that why when I buy a 512 gig SSD it shows up as 400-some-odd gigs of usable space. It's because Coldplay is putting lyrics on my SSD. Yeah, that's well, exactly know, what folks. we were thinking. The more you, yeah, the more yeah. you know. Hey, yep. at least it isn't that, Nickelback. That was the first thing to go through my mind. What is wrong with Nickelback? I'm sick of people stomping all over Nickelback. Because it's fun to stomp on Nickelback, despite the fact that they make halfway Nickelback decent is music. awesome. Yeah, they yes. do make halfway decent music, and it's easy to play. So It's also easy to pick on Nickelback. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I I just wonder if this is the reason why the um, Kingston thingies are yellow. Nobody else got that joke? Okay. Oh, man, this was your big chance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Come out with it. So, uh, but yeah, um, Coldplay, really? I mean, come on. I mean, could it not have been like news or something? Geo. You know, I like Coldplay. Black, black, are you? Yeah, yeah I black like Sabbath. Coldplay. I had to go for Black Sabbath. Oh, Black Sabbath would be brilliant. As a complete you know what, side note, um, I live near where a Black Sabbath bridge, because obviously in the part of the UK I live in, Birmingham, you know, this is where Ozzy and Tony Iommi and all those people from Black Sabbath were. Um, and so um, that's point number one. Point number two, I recently been discovering a bit more of their back catalogue, and what a back catalogue it is, man. Flipping heck, what a bunch of tunes. Anyway, I know people weren't interested really in my musical uh, uh, tastes, but I just... Just like Tupac. <laughs> eh? What? Tupac. 13 I'm, hit I'm more records into after Park. he died. All right, okay. Yeah. All right, so you, okay. so, so, so you can see how I'm, I, I just don't get that. But anyway, all right. <laughs> Speaking of things that aren't get, YouTube is testing blocking ad blockers. You know, this is like a, a turkey trying not to have Christmas, I suppose. Uh, so this is from 9 to 5 Google. <laughs> yeah, that was not bad, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm, no, that was good, man. You're you're fitting right in. Yeah. I'm available for weddings, birthdays, bar mitzvahs and funerals. Please tip your waitress on the way out. Anyway, so from 9 to 5 Google. Ads make a huge proportion of the internet free to use while still letting creators be supported by those ads, allegedly. However, there are ad blockers out there and YouTube is now testing blocking users who have an ad blocker enabled. Boo hoo. A Redditor first spotted earlier this week that on trying to use, a, on trying to use YouTube.com, a pop-up appeared saying that ad blockers are not allowed on YouTube. Videos were blocked from streaming unless the user then allowed YouTube ads or signed up for YouTube Premium, the subscription service that allows users to watch content on YouTube without ads. Um, side note, YouTube Premium is starting to become one of these things that the amount of ads now on YouTube is just so intrusive, and I think this is on purpose, that it's really pushing a lot of people towards YouTube Premium. Anyway. It's a surprise. new pipe. Mm, yeah. When my ad blockers stop working, I'll think about it. Yeah, exactly. It's a surprising I message to see, given that YouTube hasn't addressed ad blockers for years and years now. Ooh, I'm not 100% sure about that, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a statement, that. Okay. The message adds that ads allow YouTube to stay free for billions of users worldwide. Mm -hmm. A YouTube employee has since confirmed to the Our YouTube moderation team that for now, this is just an experiment. For now, YouTube is only testing blocking ad blockers. Say that five times. Really, it's easy to see why YouTube might enact such a that, rule. That, 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 that. Ad blockers strip away the income generated from videos, which pays for the ever-increasing storage and bandwidth that a mega-massive company like Google, which owns probably half the world, needs of that content. But at the same time, the user frustration is also pretty clear. Yes, it is. YouTube has been escalating its ad load tremendously in recent years and YouTube Premium isn't particularly affordable for occasional viewers at $10 a month. Hmm, actually, I would um, I would dispute that. Not because YouTube Premium itself is worth $10 a month. It ain't. But you get YouTube Music with it. And when you think about that, you know, you're basically getting a music service like Spotify or Apple Music and getting rid of your ads it becomes more compelling. The only thing that stops me from moving over from Spotify 
to uh, YouTube Music and YouTube Premium is Spotify seems to integrate with everything, you know, with your Alexas, with your Google Assistants, with your, um, you know, your smart TVs, your phones, everything like that. Everything has a Spotify button. Or sp I mean, I even bought some headphones uh, today, some uh, Sony Linkbud S uh, wireless um uh, phone, uh, headphones with ANC and they actually have Spotify on tap that you can um, uh, one of the controls you know if you triple tap you automatically go into Spotify that kind of integration um, you just don't see with other services I mean even Apple Music and uh, I mean I don't know because I haven't got uh, any iPhones and AirPods whatever but I'm not even sure Apple Music and iPods is that into well integrated um, well, there has been a lot of discussion on our Telegram and Discord groups about this story, and most of our users there say they get YouTube Premium, with the interesting thing being that the price is different in different countries. Some people were paying the equivalent of about $3 a month for YouTube Premium. Well, yeah. No, you're absolutely right about the, the ads becoming so intrusive. I mean, I don't mind watching the occasional ad to support the people that are making content. The problem gets to be one, that the revenue doesn't actually go to the people that are making the content. 90% of it goes to Google. And two, they beat you to death with the ads. I mean, there's two at the beginning. If it's more than five minutes and there's probably going to be two in the middle. Yeah, maybe you can skip, but maybe you can't, but it's just so annoying after a while. Yeah. It'll be so interesting how uh, it affects, because, yeah, using an ad blocker on Look. Firefox is one thing, but, like, using, um, like, NewPipe or something, which, you know, by design just circumvents. It doesn't block the ads. It just straight up circumvents because it yeah. leaves out the mechanism by which it needs to feed you the ads. What, whatever method, so it'll be interesting how that plays. Whatever method they find to block ad blockers, which, yeah, I find that interesting, Um you know, the people that are writing the ad blockers are eventually going to find a way around. And it probably exactly. won't be more than a exactly. day or two. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just a mouse and cat race. Cat and mouse, even. Cat and mouse, yeah. All right, so moving on. Uh, Star 5's Vision 2 Risk 5, or Risk V, gets Ubuntu. And this is from Ubuntu.com. Uh, May 10th, 2023, Canonical published the optimized Ubuntu release for Star 5's Vision 5.2, the world's first high-performance RISC-V single-board computer uh, SBC uh, with an integrated GPU. Open standards and collaborations are strategic to both hardware and software across industries and geographies. In the last decade, open source and open standards have reshaped our world. RISC-V is the most prolific and open instruction set architecture in history, which has led the hardware community to embrace open standards and collaboration at this level. This open instruction set architecture, or ISA, is enabling a new era of processor innovation through open standards open standard collaboration with rapid industry-wide adoption. To become the industry standard across computing, the RISC-V ISA enables software and hardware design freedom on architecture. The architecture can be applied to a broad range of processors, from low-end microcontrollers to high-end server-grade processors. 
Found in 2018, Star 5 is a Chinese high-tech company with independent intellectual property rights, providing world-leading RISC-V-based products, including CPU, IP, SOC, development boards, etc. Star 5 is a leader in RISC-V technology and ecosystem development in China. Vision 5.2 is the world's first high-performance RISC-V single-board computer with an integrated GPU. Compared with its last generation, Vision 5.2 has been fully upgraded with significant improvement improvements in the processor work frequency, multimedia processing capabilities, and scalability. Its superior performance and reasonable price make Vision 5.2 the leading affordable RISC-V development board to date. Vision 5.2 is the first RISC-V single-board computer with an integrated GPU and an exciting step forward for the whole RISC-V ecosystem, said Frank Zhao, software vice president of Star 5. We are excited to have Ubuntu, the most popular Linux operating system, successfully running on Vision 5.2, thanks to our collaboration with Canonical. The operating system and open source software is key to high-performance RISC-V applications. We are dedicated to supporting RISC-V ecosystem development, and Star 5 will make further contributions to the open source world with Canonical. The, avail uh, the availability of Ubuntu running on Star 5's Vision 2 comes as the result of a joint work between Canonical and Star 5 engineering teams. Star 5 and Canonical have a track record of collaboration. In August 2022, Ubuntu was enabled on the first-generation Vision 5 board. Canonical's team has ported Ubuntu to Star 5 Vision 5.2 SBC, backed by the Star 5 engineering team, as part of a long-term collaboration between the two companies. Ubuntu, backed by Canonical, provides a commercial-grade Linux distribution that is also free to use by innovators and developers. It's a true pleasure to collaborate and innovate, uh, collaborate with innovative, innovative, innovative and visionary companies such as Star 5, and we are thrilled to announce the availability of Ubuntu on the Vision 5.2 SBC. The Vision 5.2 SBC is a high-performance and low-cost development platform that the developers and professionals will use for a range of edge computing use cases, said Gordon Marcus, Silicon Advances Director at Canonical. This partnership will provide users with a seamless development experience, allowing them to leverage the best of open source software and RISC-V through Ubuntu and Vision 5.2. An Ubuntu image is now available for Star 5 Vision 5.2 SBC, and additional follow-up work is expected to include new features and ports to the latest Ubuntu releases. And I'm actually kind of excited about that because I've been following this RISC-V thing for some time, and it's been, it just seems to kind of creep along, but, you know, that, that, that shouldn't come as any surprise to anybody. I'm not sure... Well, ARM keeps wanting to charge more for their chips one way or another. Yeah. And uh, the That's obvious... That's an exotic world to to do work for anyway, you know, yeah. uh, development work for, because of all of the different sub-architectures that are involved in that. The obvious way to get away from ARM's charges is to get a RISC-V. That's about it. 
And that's about it. Ah, uh, let's go. Microsoft wants Firefox to ditch Google and switch to Bing. From OMG Ubuntu, here's a, hopefully, toy cat to toss amongst the pigeons. Microsoft is rumored to be eyeing up a deal that would make Bing the default search engine in Mozilla Firefox. The rumor, by the way of the information, claims senior Microsoft execs hope to seal a deal with Mozilla to make Bing the default search engine as soon as this year, as the browser's existing big bucks deal with Google is coming up for renewal. Now Firefox making a search engine switch isn't new. Mozilla tested Microsoft's Bing as Firefox default search engine back in 2021, and those with longer memories may just remember a time when Yahoo was the default search engine in select countries. Despite Firefox's modest market share these days, sob, the browser remains an important part of the web landscape. It is a free open source alternative to Google Chrome across platforms and a technical and ideologically counterpoint to the encroaching Chromium-based monoculture. Plus, Firefox remains one of the most widely used browsers on Linux. That makes any search engine switch a veritable hot-button issue amongst FOSS fans, who, it's fair to say, view Microsoft with suspicious eyes at best. But with Bing boasting AI-powered features these days, something Google is hot on the tail of, as per this week's I.O. event, there's arguably never been as much interest in Bing as there is now. Might that momentum help tip the scales in favor of Mozilla? In its favor with Mozilla? Yeah, gotta be able to read, folks. Uh, it'll certainly need, need it'll certainly need to offer something other than just more money for a switch like this to stick. The Yahoo deal was incredibly short-lived, due in part to Firefox users ignoring the default and making Google the default anyway. What do you think Mozilla should do? I struggle to care. If you if you feel if this helps you, Mozilla, to put it put it in there, I struggle to care because. I'm just going to install it and then switch it over to DuckDuckGo anyway. Yeah, as, so. as another user in uh, Telegram said, he doesn't care what they have, he'll just switch to DuckDuckGo. True, but yep. we're not the we're not the people that they make the money from it's Mozilla. True. Uh, the people that Mozilla are making money from are the people who are using Google search. And instead of using, you know, and, uh, you know, paying Google, paying Microsoft, probably paying them a little bit less. I must say, actually, ever since ChatGPT and the integration now with Bing, um, I do see people using Bing more. I mean, even I've downloaded it just to try it out, uh, just to see what Shame. it's like. I don't. It, it doesn't seem to be particularly great, to be completely honest. But um, I think if nothing else... I don't trust it. I, well, I think what will happen is people will download it and have a go, and then they'll just kind of... It will stick, Look. and that and this is the thing, isn't it? The, uh, people, general normies, as they say, often don't change defaults. So if they find that it's just semi-usable, they might not change. And for, if that means that Mozilla gets some money, why not? For most of your searches, you know, Google's good. I think for a while there, DuckDuckGo was using uh, Google as the back end. Anyway, it was just stripping out the uh the ads and the um uh tracking but um you you mentioned bing and i will say that i do use bing um for video searches so if i'm looking for groupings of videos i will use bing so i suppose it's got its uses um just on the on a side issue i uh recently uh, start, uh tried out google's uh ai uh bard um 
it's not bad. I'm I'm still struggling to see the use of a lot of these things. Um, but then I suppose that's just the line of, you know, I'm an enthusiast. I don't work in the IT industry. Maybe, uh, you know, I do. I have heard of people using chat GPTs to check their code and stuff. So, um, did any of you guys tried out chat GPT or Bard or anything like that? No, but my wife nope. has sent me videos I... that have me convinced that I'm not going to have a job in a couple of years because of things like ChatGPT. I think companies that make huge decisions to replace human beings with, with technology similar to or based on ChatGPT are going to fail miserably as a result uh, just because I don't... I'm just not convinced that it's reliable. I'm not convinced that it works all that well. I've I've heard stories of it outright making errors. Um, and then, you know, anything where the learning model is basically the Internet um, is going to fall, fall prey to the same sort of mechanism that, you know, drives disinformation in human beings. You know, people are... People are uh, misinformed because they're basing their knowledge on what they read on the internet so if we create a technology that intelligent but the base for that intelligent is the information don't be surprised if if it just doesn't work all that well Chat yeah that's GPT i mean brought to you by QAnon. yeah well it's not just the, the it's yeah. not just that aspect of it the conspiratorial or whatever it's i do think that people you know put a lot of um stock in things like automation ai you know in a way to save money you know or because then we need to hire less people because we can automate it we can um etc etc and in reality it doesn't work that well it causes even more uh you need you end up needing more staff so you've not actually saved any money i mean the one i the the recent thing i remember was about six months ago uh my uh my mother had to go on an emergency trip to india uh because uh, somebody was unwell and so i took her down and uh, we went we were taking a she was taking a ba flight british airways flight and it was at terminal 5 so terminal 5 is the british airways terminal at heathrow and when you go there there's no check in desks everything is you know, you uh, you go to a screen, you do this, 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 that, and the other. You then print something out. You then put your uh, suitcase or whatever. It automatically does it, and then you go through. Now, it all sounds fantastic, but when a 75-year-old woman is doing it, you know, in the, she inevitably needed to get someone to come and give her a hand, and then this, and then that. And then you could see there's only one person, and there's loads of people coming up saying, oh, the machine's not working, or it's not doing this properly, it's not doing that properly. I thought to myself, what are you actually yeah, saving here? I actually here? saw the same thing at a Taco Bell the other day. They had, like, taken down all of their, their big screens that had the menu on it and everything, and they just had this little tiny kiosk there. But then they still had all the, the people behind the counter because it was a new thing, and everybody was going to come up and be asked. So, yeah. Well, the other problem at Taco Bell is that you can't get the senior discount on the kiosk. Exactly. You have to you have to track down a person. And if you're going to make fun of 75-year-old people, I'm almost there. No, no, I'm not I'm not I'm making, not making fun. I was just, uh, you know, <laughs> no, but you know, I, uh, I, my mum was finding it difficult. Watch yourself, whippersnapper. No, no, it's just that my mum was finding it difficult to manage, do you know what no. I mean? And I thought to myself, if I hadn't have been there, she would have really struggled to figure things out because she's not, you know, she's I a little know. old lady. You know. I work in automation. I do. 
And automation on the back end, I think, is perfectly great. And it does provide jobs. And, and um, you know, I've always said, okay, I, I've had people, when I talk to them about technical debt within my own company, because um, we have different things where we will try and automate people's jobs, essentially. And then they'll say to me, why would I, why would I work towards automating my job and, and, you know, getting myself fired? And it's like, well, the company doesn't really work that way. Um, <clears throat> the automation that you're adding here is going to need to be monitored. And there will be other automation added that will also need to be monitored. We're always onboarding new applications. There's always going to be more work for you. And as this work comes on, we'll automate that and you'll get new stuff. And it will go on and on and on and on. Um, <clears throat> but with things like chat GBT, I don't know how well that's going to work going forward. All right. Well, that being the case, why don't we end the news and move on to security and privacy? So in security and privacy, India bans open source messaging apps for security reasons and the first company says good luck mate so basically so this is from a uh it's from an indian paper and i can't remember which one it is i apologize uh but um india's government has reportedly banned uh, and it's from the register as well sorry i remember now so it was from an indian paper and it was in the register as well so India's government has reportedly banned 14 messaging apps on national security grounds, including some open source services. News of the move appeared in local media last week, citing government sources for news that apps including Element, Wikimi, Mediafire, Briar, Bchat, Nanbox, Konion, Imo and Zangi were banned on the recommendation of the Ministry of Home Affairs. I've only actually heard of two of those, but hey, you know, messaging is different in different parts of the world. The ministry cited risk of terrorism in the region of Jammu and Kashmir, a majority Muslim territory administered by India but also claimed by Pakistan. India accuses Pakistan of backing independence activists in the region and imposed years-long connectivity restrictions that meant only 2G services were available on the grounds that it made harder for separatists to organise. Can I just make a point here? They, they cut off the internet to that state for about two years. I mean, that is just nuts. You know, Cruel and inhuman punishment really was um i i had uh friends uh who had relatives over there and it was a real issue you know getting hold and finding out what's going on anyway sorry this latest crackdown targets messaging apps india reportedly believes could be used by separatists to plan attacks without authorities being able to intercept the chatter that's the logic india nearly always uses indeed they just about just about any government to be fair when shuttering networks or banning content and apps the Free Software Community of, of India, a collective of FOSS users and developers, have taken issue with the banning of peer-to-peer -peer open source messaging apps Briar and Element. The community cited reports that India banned the two services because they do not have in-country representatives who can be held legally accountable for activity conducted with the apps. It points out that's a slightly ridiculous position given that FOSS relies on decentralized collaboration. There seems to be a lack of understanding on part of the government on how these peer-to-peer software as well as federated apps work. These applications have been crucial for communication during disasters and are used regularly as communication medium in workplaces, the community argued in a blog post. The ban, the ban we believe, will not, will not serve the purpose as there are many anonymous alternate apps that can be used by terror outfits to fulfill their purpose. And of course, the source code for FOSS projects is readily available, thus the name. 
making bans are an app the first mood in a futile game of whack-a-mole rather than an effective enforcement tool. As time yeah, would have is, it, bro. This is free and open source software, so you just go somewhere where you can download it and then I know, yeah, it's just up and running. Yeah. As timing would have it, the Briars Project blog last week detailed the project's efforts to build mesh networks out of Android devices during internet outages so that messages can continue to flow even if the internet is down. When an Android device thinks that its internet connection doesn't work, either due to a captive portal or due to certain Google domains being unreachable, apps on the device are still able to connect to IP addresses that remain reachable and the device can still resolve DNS queries for other domains. The blog stated on May the 4th. Even though various parts of the UI indicate that the system considers the Wi-Fi connection to be offline, the system does not seem to block any traffic as a result of this assessment. For our project, this is good news. They continue, it means that even when access to the global internet is blocked, it should be possible to communicate with other devices on local networks or national subsets of the internet. While other mechanisms could still influence the ability to form mesh networks, the Android operating system itself doesn't seem to get in our way. So in other words, you want to block us? Go ahead and try. Yeah, I mean, Element is what the the back end for Matrix chat. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's as you say, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of messaging apps and free and open source software. I mean, like there was something in the article that also said about how the because there was no um this is another article on this that basically one of the objections that the government had was that because there was no uh, registration and then there was no records of what was being done. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like you really do not understand what it, this is. And so therefore, if you're going to come up with this kind of harebrained idea that we're going to ban it, well, this is just it's free and open source software, you know, and you're not stopping terrorists. <sighs> they'll just come up with something new. But, and, and this is the thing, you see, this is the thing, you, you know, you end up making everybody's lives difficult and you don't actually achieve what it is that you wanted to in the first place. You know, well, because they do, they get to monitor their citizens or more of their citizens because, you yeah. know, most of their citizens aren't going to go out of their way to install something or they're mm. not going to install something that might be considered illegal because they don't want to go to jail. Most. Yeah. Yeah. Things have got a bit worrying in India, I must say, last couple of years. I Everywhere. Mean, I, well, it, it is everywhere, but, um, yeah, I mean, it is everywhere. I'm not going to lie, but I mean, like I actively, when I went to India last time, I actually made a point of making sure I didn't have my Twitter and my Facebook on my phone, because if they started, uh, if some stupid police officer came up and started looking through and then started saying, seeing things and with my kind of name, I'm not going to get lots of rights in India. Um, uh, yeah, it did worry me. Um, anyway. Uh, we were talking about conspiracy theories, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for security and privacy this episode. So why don't we move into our bi-weekly wanderings and we start with Bill. Oh, you know, I've been dreading I had kind of a bad experience. It really is really kind of embarrassing. And when you hear this uh, story, I'm going to tell you, you're going to think, I'm quite sure you're going to think that, yeah, of course, Bill, what on earth were you thinking? Um, but yeah, that all being said, it is story time, kids. 
So as I've said before, in terms of online scams, the two most vulnerable demographics are people who don't know any better and people who think they know better. As it turns out, I fit firmly into the second of those two categories. Uh, so for some time now, my wife has been vocalizing her desire to get a stay-at-home job, meaning online. And I've resisted the idea uh, since the beginning because I rightly believed the possibility of getting scammed was greater than the possibility of successfully finding a legitimate opportunity. So about three weeks ago... What I thought was an amazing opportunity fell in my lap. I was contacted by a woman on Facebook friends, on my Facebook friends list, on the Messenger app, offering me a paid position where she would provide me links to homes for rent, and I would post those to Facebook Marketplace. Uh, I told her that I didn't have the time to do it, but my wife was looking for something like that. Uh, she, and I, well, I say she because we really don't have any idea who this person really is, uh, gave me some information to pass along to my wife, which I did. Amanda is her name. Uh, she was very excited for the chance to make some money. Uh, the woman online said the work would pay $650 a week, and Amanda was immediately immersed in the work. So a week went by, and it was time to get paid. When payday came, the person online um, offered to pay using whatever method my wife preferred. Uh, I told her not to give out any of our bank information, obviously. We opted, to, we opted instead to use the Facebook Pay, which can then be electronically deposited to our checking account. The person online agreed. And we thought all was well. Boy, were we wrong. The message Amanda got at first was that the person online was having trouble uh, with Facebook Pay. And could Amanda please take a picture of her driver's license and send it to them? That was when the warning lights started going on so that they can get it uh, worked out. This is when my spidey sense started going off. Amanda refused to send information like that. So the person responded saying that they would try it again on their lunch break. Uh, mind you, I was being updated about all of this in real time as the day went along. Around about 12 noon central time, I decided to play a little game I like to play with people like this where I pretend to be somebody working in cybersecurity and offering my assistance getting the Facebook pay to work. The person responded by saying that they were having trouble with it, whereby I asked if there was any other payment platform they would be more comfortable using. They said yes. They prefer either Cash App or PayPal. I said, okay, we'll use Cash App. Uh, Amanda set up the account, sent them the cash tag, and I wanted to believe all was would be well. And you are probably wondering at this point how I could be so stupid. If I could say anything in my defense, it is that sometimes we live in the world we wish existed instead of the one that really does. We were smart enough to not give out any information to open us up to a direct attack on our finances, but we hadn't considered much beyond that. About 20 minutes after sending the cash tag, Amanda got a message stating that she would have to send a $30 realtor fee in Bitcoin in order to receive payment for her work. It was at this point I was convinced we were being scammed. 
what was happening was Amanda was sharing the listings, which were fake, by the way, on her marketplace. When people responded, she passed the communication on to the, quote, person online. That person would then do a bogus online application process whereby scamming information from those people as well as a security deposit. At some point, someone got wise and reported Amanda for scamming because keep in mind this all to anybody that was responding to these ads it appeared as though amanda was the one sending the fraudulent information out there uh amanda's account was suspended uh from facebook's point of view it was assumed her account got hacked because there was no pattern of this kind of thing happening on her account before she needed only to set a new password on her account, and she was back to Facebooking. Oh, thank God. I can only imagine the damage was done. Uh, I can only imagine the damage that was done. Uh, I guess the old adage is true. If something seems to be too good to be true, it almost certainly is. Um, although my wife has suffered some depression as a result of the damage she feels responsible for, I take full responsibility for everything. Uh, I have in this moment fallen victim to my own arrogance and hubris. Yeah, folks, if you think it can't happen to you, it absolutely can. I thought I knew better and I was wrong. I only hope the damage was minimal and nobody sent any real money or personal information. I've got no way of reaching out to the people that, uh, responded to any of these listings. Um, but yeah, that, the not a happy situation and if uh are you kidding me right now <laughs> sorry folks um no you're yeah. not uh so yeah um did i don't know what else to say for myself did you actually lose any money no we we did not because we did not we was not about to share because i kind of went into this with the with at least enough uh forethought that you know we're going to see how this goes but one one mistake we're not going to make is sending any personal information or any information that could lead a, or any bitcoin you know, a yeah or any bitcoin 30 dollars oh, a bitcoin how much is that point zero 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 one one yeah and i i remember i was talking to this person too because they were this person was communicating with me and i was saying some things back and forth and i got angry at one point and pretended to know i just i always assume these people are not in the united states so i acted like i was a cybersecurity specialist and i was tracking them down i said well it looks like you're not even in the united states and then they they immediately they immediately uh blocked me at that point so that i was probably on to something there. facebook seems to be the place now for scams and getting screwed over it's interesting that you've mentioned this because um i'm selling some stuff on facebook marketplace uh, or, or i mean I'm, i've got some listings on at the minute and even in the past as well amount of people that come up and then say yeah i'll pay Oh, I'll pay this, I'll pay that, send me your email for PayPal, and then you get this really dodgy looking email saying, this has been transferred, <laughs> you just need to uh, you know, send this or send that. or I you transferred know, it's okay too much for... money, please send this much back. Yeah, all sorts of shit like that. Yeah. And it's just like, 
I don't even know why I bother anymore. And even even when you've done things which look legit, so I um Is this still available? About a year about a year ago I bought a Galaxy S twenty one Ultra off uh, Facebook Marketplace. I went to the guy's house, I saw the phone, he showed me the phone, everything was working fine, this, that and the other. He I found it strange that he wiped it in front of me and gave it to me there and then. You know, you're using it and then you wipe it and then give it. It's like, okay, fine. Anyway, took the phone. It was a dual SIM. Noticed that one SIM card wasn't working, but it doesn't matter. You kept on, yeah, you used the phone for a while. Everything was okay. Decided a couple of months later to sell it and get something else. Went into um, my one of my local uh, shops that, you know, does a computer exchange, which does like buying and selling of electrical goods. And they said, oh, this is a network blacklisted phone. What? And um, and that that was why one SIM wasn't working because the guy had um, sold it to me, then reported it lost or stolen. The network no. had then blocked the thing. But because well, the other SIM card side was working, I was still using it. And they were like, well, this is just a, a paperweight now. You've got nothing you can do with it. Uh, so it's like... He just quit uh, paying. It could for have it. been also. Yeah, he still owed yeah. on it when he sold it to you. Probably, that's happened as well before. So it's like you know, it's like it's just the worst shit happened. I mean, yeah, I mean, and I've got you know, I've got even worse stories of being scammed out of a couple of grand in a business scheme over the internet as well, which um, I'm still I'm still working extra to pay off now. So it's it, yeah, it's that thing of. So I don't I don't feel so the, bad now. Smart people get scammed. Well, it just, I just assume that I'm not really smart, really. I but you absolutely are, and the and the problem with Aren't that you a is doctor that the more you, and you don't think you're yeah, smart. Well, the more they get you that That's way though. Yes, they exactly. get you if you don't know. They get you if you yeah. do know because you think you know. The more you do know, the more you yeah, think you know. Exactly, and they got you. And, and they use you as a, like, in this case, I we were used as a proxy. Next, you're just going to say the words just to... get a little big. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's that's the interesting thing about it. And it what bothers me is that it's becoming, it's getting to the point where I'm surprised when something's not a scam anymore. I think the other, I think the other thing is, is that when, when it comes to money... You can be flipping Albert bloody Einstein, yeah, but your your rational mind goes a bit out of the window and it becomes yes. emotional. And, you know, you look and, you, you know, especially because let's be honest, you know, we, everybody's got some kind of money issue, you know, at, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, when you see something and you think, well, it's too good to be true. And they think, yeah, but what if it is true? And I could pay this off. Got to get in on the ground floor. Yeah, you know, it's that. Well, because you do, you hear these silly stories about people that are making it big. Yeah, because they took this chances. Opportunity fell in their yeah, lap. Small and, 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 large yeah. Games. yeah, and it's like the reptilian part of your brain, you know, which isn't connected to rational thought, kind of takes over, and it becomes kind of emotional. Imagine just agree, just admitted to being lizard people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you understand what i mean though you know the idea that is you know it's kind of like yeah you know it be, it, it, it it somehow bypasses the important parts of your brain because well, if you say if we you, also know even, in order to like transition from middle class to upper class or from lower class to middle class there has to be some kind of massive thing that basically happens there you know it's not mm. i can grind this out it's uh no i have to do something like winning the lottery yeah yeah 
Yeah. Late, lately, the last two, two and a half weeks, I've been getting 30 or 40 text messages on my phone. Text messages for someone oh, who yeah. isn't me, isn't even male, but isn't me. And the only way to respond to them is to click on a link. And I said, I'm not that stupid. Hmm. I have no idea what clicking on that link will do, but it's since it isn't naming naming me in the first place, I'm not going to click on that link. <laughs> but it's it's not just digital. I mean, it's just outright phone calls. We we get calls all the time for people trying to pass themselves off as our electric mm. company, saying you know they come up with this elaborate story about some balance from two months ago didn't get paid or something. So and they're gonna so the, the the bank thing that I was telling you about the. Um... When I got uh, scammed a couple of, a couple of years ago, I actually started getting phone calls from, and the phone even said the number came came up on my phone as my bank's number, and you know I'd pick it up and they'd say, yeah, we've been trying to transfer this money to you, but we haven't been able to transfer it, and this, that, and the other, and there's some issue. But anyway, you know it's okay. You can, uh, um, you know, uh, Log you into can this go website. ahead and do it. Give us all yeah. your information. Yeah. My answer and would then, be, you know, send oh me a check. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, um, yeah, some of these are quite elaborate. You know, they do find um, people. They do make it sound like it's something real. And to the extent that now when I do get legit calls from, say, my bank or whatever, I'm actually really suspicious. And I'm like, well, how do I know you're my bank? You know, look, um, that that's part of like cybersecurity 101. It's beat into my head every year by my company. Um, don't trust links and emails, and don't trust people that call you. If your bank bank calls you, if your electric company calls you, be like, okay, thanks for informing me. I'm going to call back, and then mm. you call the numbers that you know. But mm. that's not to say that you know I've never fallen prey to some stupid crap. But um, that is just something that was pounded over and over again every year in my head. If they call you, you need to call them back on numbers that you know. Exactly. Not on the I was that watching a TV you. show. Oh, I was watching a TV show recently where a guy said he was moving to Nigeria because he had to keep tabs on this prince that owed him money. <laughs> <laughs> Do God. you get the feeling that there is actually a prince in Nigeria sitting there going, "I've been trying to get rid of this money and nobody's." I don't think they have a royalty system in Nigeria. <laughs> they do technically, but anyway. But yeah, I know what you mean. I'm just joking around, but yeah. Anyhow, Bill, you still have a paragraph to go, and your family is bothering you. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so to finish up here and gracefully steer us away from the story of woe and intrigue, uh, I am slowly Whoa. migrating the websites uh, that I manage from the Raspberry Pis to uh, Docker containers on the two big... Um, this will offer slightly better performance and make the job of managing these servers a bit more streamlined, especially when I'm on the road, which, you know, sometimes I run into things that I have to, and it's fewer physical devices that I've got to SSH. Uh, so far, I've moved linuxotc.org, my personal blog site, and 3ftpodcast.org into Docker containers, where I'm watching the performance for a couple of weeks before I move mintcast.org over. I'm being a little bit more cautious about that. Uh, as it is right now, mintcast.org is running on this Pi 400 beside me. And it works fine. Um, but again, it's one more device. But I want to make sure that it's going to be okay before I move 
midcast.org's got a lot more. Uh, there's stuff dating way back years ago on that website. There's a lot more media content, and a lot more people hit it on a daily basis than other websites. So I want to be oh, more cautious um, about that. I don't know if you saw that email the other day. Someone sent an email about the RSS feed had reverted to the local email address again. Um, I saw that email. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't replicate that problem. So. I didn't answer them, but yeah, um, I'm getting the. You would. I'm getting the uh, episodes just fine. Well, I don't. I don't get them when I'm connected to my. I get them when I'm on the road, connected to five G or whatever. VPN back to your house. So, okay. No, the if I look right now, I can I can actually bring up and see uh, real quick here feeds. Right now, our podcast feed is reading HTTPS. Yeah, it works for me now. Now, that day when he sent it, I went and checked, and it didn't. But anyways, sorry to interrupt. And, of course, once I do switch it over, once I do migrate over, you know, there's going to be a couple of pain points because permalinks get assigned to the uh, local IP address and things like that. And some some of them get changed automatically. Some of them you have to go in and change manually um so when i when i do decide to switch it over it's not going to be right about you know episode release time it's gonna we're gonna do it you know shortly after or whatever less painful to everybody but it'll mean that instead of having six devices that i've got to maintain and keep up to date it'll just be two devices that are just running and a bunch of Docker containers. containers. Yeah, but that I mean, I've had nothing but good success with with uh, all these containers. Basically, everything I got run: audio bookshelf to the Jellyfin server to uh, oh, right down to the Pi Hole. Pi Hole is a little bit more complicated because, but uh, everything else runs great that way. It's worth learning how to use that technology just just so that you can you've got more access to more things. You can you can literally use one server to run twenty servers, several different, uh, yeah, several different servers. Well, I mean, lots of different services, uh, media servers to websites, and I mean, when it comes to setting up a WordPress site, it's about as it's about as painless as it gets. Just to uh, pull the Docker image and set up the website, and then put it behind a reverse proxy or something like that, and that way you can have HTTPS. I might do a video on how to set all that up at some point because it's it's not as difficult as people probably, but it's worth learning Docker uh, to begin with, you know. And there's plenty of good tutorial videos and things like that on YouTube, teaching you how to get started and teach how to make the most of it. Because you're gonna want you're gonna want like Nginx Proxy Manager uh, to put all of this stuff behind. That way, it can handle all of the uh, certificates for you and then it automatically updates them and everything like that and you don't have to worry about anything it just it runs automatically and as far as updating the images now a lot of people will tell you not to you know you should if you're going to run docker containers you should probably be updating the images yourself but there is a container called light or what's it called watchtower and what it does is it sees the containers you've got running on your system and it goes and looks to make sure that you've got the latest image 
for the tag that you've got assigned to that container. And then if it needs to update, it'll pull the new image, gracefully shut down the uh, container, and then restart it with the new image. So it keeps it, it keeps it up to date automatically. Uh, and it works pretty good for me. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. How about well, you, Joe? probably the shortest bi-weekly wanderings I've had in a while. So, um, I had some fun times and some really terrible times over the last two weeks. Uh, as some of you know, I was helping out last week during the election for, um, school board, college board, and I was supporting a friend for his run for city council. He, political people that I was working with did not support the same person for city council. Um, there was block walking and poll greeting going on. Bill, the guy uh, for Allen Independent School District, was not able to be there on the last day of voting due to you know other commitments, work commitments. So I stood in for him and I helped his wife at the uh, city municipal building. Um, I ended up with a, like, a terrible sunburn. But uh, Bill won by 58 votes out of the 7,500-ish voters that there were. Um, so there were four people running for that slot, and yeah, he won by 58 votes. That's how close it was. Now, uh, while driving out there, um, in my Buick, one of my windows, like, broke. Um, the cable snapped, and it dropped all the way to, to the bottom of the door. Um, you know, the, the glass itself was perfectly fine. Uh, the fun thing was I did not have a vice grip um, to fix it. So I went in there, I looked, uh, I, I, if I could have put the cable back on, I would have done that. But these Buicks are notorious for this particular issue with the rail system for the windows. Um, and like I said, I didn't have a vice grip because normally what you would do is raise the window all the way up manually, put a vice grip there, and that makes a good temporary fix. But um, instead, what I ended up doing was taking one of the spring clamps that I have in abundance that I use around here every and um, two bolts and three nuts. And um, I was able to turn that spring clamp into just a clamp and hold everything into position. Uh, and, and the bolts press against each other. So uh, I, I tighten the one bolt and it pushes the arms farther apart. And that's able to, to hold it in place. Now, it's not the first time this has happened in my car. It's actually the third time. Now, the first time it happened, we paid to have it fixed, and it cost about um, $300. And then it was the exact same window that went out again a, a, a few months later. So um, next time, I will buy the part and do the work myself. But for now, I'm going to just have to deal with only having two windows that work in my car. I don't think that's that big of a deal. Um, as long as at least one of the windows roll down and it's the driver's window, I'll be happy. And if I have to... I will move those rails around to make that happen. Um, that all sounds very normal and boring, right? But uh, while I was standing out shaking people's hands and asking for their vote, nine people were dying two miles away in a mass shooting um, at the Allen Outlet Mall. It, it was a little bit humbling to think about, and I don't want to give that too much attention, so um, I, I will be moving on. I also had a really good email conversation with uh, Brad Alexander about headphones and deferring opinions, um, and that will be included in the uh, vibrations from the ether portions of the show. Um, but that did convince me to fix a couple of my sets of retractables and get them uh, back into rotation. One of my pairs of 810s that I've been repairing for years finally just disintegrated 
and can no longer be used. Um, I can still use the parts, but the plastic and some of the electronics are completely done for. Um, the spools where the, uh, the drivers connect are still good though, as is the battery. And I'm probably going to use the battery in one of the pairs of 820s that I have. Now I was also able to get a couple pairs of the A20s working and, and one from the 1100 line, I think it's an 1120. Um, I had to replace the MMCX connectors on the 1100 uh, and because it had internal shorts on the connector itself. Uh, but I like how everything turned out with that one. So I think I'm actually, yeah, I'm wearing that one right now. Um, still, uh, I did get uh, the what, two pairs of 820s working and the 1100 pair. Um, and I still got a couple of other pairs of 810s to work on. Um, and I tried out a pair of 830s, um, but then, you know, I immediately lost them afterwards. Uh, they, they are still completely unmodded and in my bedroom somewhere. And I'm not really a fan of the controls and I don't remember what lot I got that. Um, on the 3D printing front, I have not done much. I printed a can holder for Jackie and some other hairpins, really about it. Um, everyone has enjoyed the hairpins in the uh, fielded. <clears throat> um, I've also looked at uh, several different job offers that have come up, but nothing has really panned out yet. I am still working. Try and improve my overall financial situation. Um, I still need to send Moss his audio interface, um, and I need to plan a trip to Florida to visit my dad and my grandma. Um, now this time around, only my youngest will be going with us, and I think even the dogs are going to be staying home um, with the girls. Hopefully, um, I will be able to take some time off and, you know, hit a beach or something. God forbid you go to Florida and hit the beach. But um, Moss, I will try and get that out around the first um, and, and sent to you. Uh, I know you have one right now, so I'm not in too much of a rush to get so yeah right the only thing wrong with this one is the headphone jack is not uh, feeding me headphone okay so yeah um i did get the soldering iron out and even though i had to use one of my USB-C batteries which do the uh, super fast charging in order to be able to power it since uh, my pine power is still on the broken list um i will eventually hopefully be able to take that apart and find whatever chip went bad and redo it i think that a lot of fun um, I've also been using my Dell Venue 11 Pro quite a bit again, that and my little mini 1GX. Um, the Venue 11 Pro is running um, Ubuntu, actually, um, and the other one is running uh, Mint. Venue 11 it is not a powerhouse, but it does a very good job at uh, browsing and video watching, um, as well as the typing that I use it for. And being able to switch between the two devices extremely helpful when it comes to batteries. Um, I think I need to get two new batteries for the keyboards for the Dell Venue 11 Pro, but those are like 50 bucks each just for the batteries, which is a bit much for what they provide. So I'll keep my eye out for a deal on that and see what I can do. Cause I wouldn't mind having that second battery or well, third battery technically of the second key. And really, um, that, that's all I've been up to, unless you guys want to hear about, you know, me trying out different recipes, yelling at my kids for being jerks. There isn't a whole lot else to talk about. Moss, what have you been up to? Well, I tried using BlendOS again. The Plasma version installed, but suffered from disappearing menus. It worked really great, except when I tried to open up a program, the menu disappears. I mean, the 
the space was there, the color was there, the options were not. Rudra told me the GNOME version was completely stable, so I installed that, but after installing it, I couldn't get any other repos, such as Ubuntu or Fdroid, to install, so I'm writing it off for now. I have joined... Well, I'll get around to that later. It has gotten a lot better since version 1, but it's just barely not ready. I wish I hadn't had the problem with menus on Plasma. Rudra says others who tried Plasma had the same issue, and he's working on it. It looked pretty good. Majid just turned me onto the Discord and Telegram groups for Blend OS. Rudra told me tonight that he had to put separate groups up for them because there are many times more users already on Blend OS than, for instance, on Ubuntu Unity. That surprised me a bit. I would think an Ubuntu uh, distro would have more users, but oh well. More teaching. Seems like the closer it gets to the end of the year, the less teachers want to show up for work. A huge improvement for me over getting only one assignment through January and February. I just uh, this afternoon got an assignment for Monday. We apologize for the lack of a streaming show this past Saturday. We had a good conversation with myself, Majid, Respawn, and Josh Thacker, but none of us knew how to set up the stream. I'm starting to practice for my next concert, which is next month's Festival of the Living Rooms. I don't have an exact day or time yet, but I should know before the next show. I was also a little bit upset about that because it turns out to be the same weekend as Southeast Linux Fest, which I kind of would like to go to someday. And I do know that one of our listeners, uh, uh, Jackie, is going to be there. Uh, my modem and router's Wi-Fi went away this week. I don't know why. I called Xfinity. They said it wasn't them. I called Netgear. They checked a few things and had me reset the modem. It still didn't work. Now I didn't even have internet, Ethernet. Netgear got Xfinity on a three-way call and said it wasn't their fault, so Xfinity scheduled me for a tech appointment for this morning. Yesterday morning, I figured it out. When I first got this modem back in January, the Netgear tech found that the automatic DNS setting was given an unusable DNS, and he had me change it to Google's DNS, and later I changed it to another DNS server. But that setting got reset when the modem did, and the Netgear tech I tech this, and the Netgear tech I got this time didn't think of that. But I finally remembered. It's working now. No thanks to the two-year support plan I signed up for at Netgear. In fact, I can't. I log into my Netgear account. They don't have any record of my support tickets. I've had two. And they don't show my modem as even being registered. So I've got to talk to them about that. But uh, rather than get upset about this... It was DNS, wasn't it? It was DNS. DNS. Uh, The the DNS that that, uh, was supposed to automatically be be provided by uh, Xfinity was not a valid DNS setting. And so I just changed that and made it static and I'm good. And at any point, I think I'm done griping about that, and we can go on and see what Majid's been up to. So, <clears throat> because I seem to have an allergy to keeping money in my wallet, uh, I was looking at getting a new box purely for distro testing. Will antihistamines um, a- fix that? Because I have that same <laughs> same problem. Uh, I think wives generally fix that. But anyway... Uh, some reasonable i have one it doesn't okay fine actually neither does mine to be honest uh but anyway so there were some there's some reasonable deals out there on ebay and i think it's because and i think i remember hearing about this as well that windows 11 doesn't support older than 8th gen intel chips 
Um, I think it's something to do with the TPM and the secure boot. So there seems to be quite a lot of 8th gen i5s and i7s around. Um, so I'm tempted by that. Uh, I haven't done it yet. Um, I need to sell some stuff, which I'll get to in a second. Um, I tried out PyMega, which is not me feeding pies to my girlfriend. Uh, it's uh, something else, which I will talk about a bit more in the innards. So I'll get to that in a sec. So um, my son got a new phone. And so I wanted to sell his old Pixel 4, which was running Lineage OS. Um, I thought the best way to try and sell it would be to flash the stock Android 13 images from Google. And they do seem to have a, a relatively straightforward tool for doing that. And it seemed like a pretty painless procedure when I read into it. Um, I started doing it on my Windows box and then realized that it'd be much easier on Linux uh, because a lot of the drivers aren't required and you don't do that sort of stuff. So, and so when I did, uh, so I put Linux, uh, I tried it on my Linux box and I didn't need any setup or anything at all, but I kept having ADB access issues and I wasn't sure why. So I did a bit of Googling. So first I thought it was a browser issue because I was using Firefox. Apparently it's a known, there's a known issue with the Firefox snap on Ubuntu and uh, the box that I was using because I, I mean I do use Firefox but I don't use it regularly I hadn't changed it over to the deb or the flat pack so it's, it will snap so I thought okay let's try the deb Firefox tried that um, then found out that the issue is Firefox in itself not just to do with the snap um, and it will only work with chromium based uh, browsers so I then tried it with uh, Brave uh, and Vivaldi, which are my uh, browsers of choice uh, when on the Chromium base side. And it still wasn't working, just random errors. Um, and then at that point, I just wondered if it was just Linux thing, you know, the kind of just general jank that sometimes occurs. I don't know. So remember I talked about that MacBook uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's kind of just stayed in the corner. Um, and so I thought, well, let's try it. Um, I've got Vivaldi on that, works straight away, no issues, no one, no no problem at all. And it made me wonder, is this what people mean when they say that Macs are easier to develop on? Is it, you know, um, or is it just luck? Or is it just the fact that um, Macs are very discrete hardware and so if you're trying to get stuff to uh, work with them um, or be compatible, it's just much easier. You know, it's the same thing like with uh, apps on Android. You know, there's a million different Android phones. And so Android apps might be optimized for one, but not the other. But iOS apps, well, there's only a certain number of iPhones. So I wonder if that was a thing. I don't know. Well, but I've got these Pixel 3a XLs that I had been using. And I looked at how to flash uh, Android back on them. And I, I just sort of threw up my hands. It did not make sense to me. You'd think they'd have, a, have it built into ROM or something. Oh, you want to reinstall? Just hit this button. Yeah. No, I mean, there is a, I mean, the, the, as I said, there was a website, Google or something really simple like that. And it seemed to do it reasonably uh, straightforward, at least when I looked at it. Um, I don't know if it was because mine was a Pixel 4 or up for supporting. I don't know. Anyway. Well, uh, mine's older than yours. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, after doing that, I managed to sell it within a day. <laughs> So uh, it uh, it now belongs to uh, a friend of mine's daughter. So that was a win. Uh, the MacBook has actually uh, gone on sale. 
uh, on Facebook Marketplace and I've been getting all sorts of scam things about it. That was what I was saying. Because it's just, I'm just not using it. Mail it to me and I'll send you a check. Yeah. <laughs> I, wonder what, I wonder what shipping is actually to the States. I need to find a lot. Out. Yeah. No, that that was a typical scam on uh, places like Craigslist. <laughs> well, if you if you'll ship it to me, I'll make sure you get the money right away. And yeah, uh, I was think I was thinking next time I um, uh, do a fresh install uh, of whichever distro I'm using, I might try Butter at Fest. Um, I've never used anything else apart from the standard XT4. Um, is there any point? Uh, am I missing something? I, I keep hearing about these snapshot things, which is easier to do on ButterFS and it's very good for. Should I bother? Should I not? Would it make a difference? You know, I don't know. Thoughts welcome. Let it's uh, when it comes to, okay, so you got some benefits. Um, if you're using SSDs, the SSD will literally last longer because it's a copy on write file system, which means a couple of things. It means that you are not changing anything except for the bits that are changing because with some file systems when you uh, when you write to a file you literally rewrite the entire file when when anything changes with a copy on write um, it changes only the bits it needs to the other thing is that when uh, when you're writing files it uses caching in your RAM a lot more efficiently and it doesn't write until it has a sufficient amount of data in the RAM, and then you can you can actually even change the commit level of uh, of the ButterFS system to where it will commit at a higher a higher ratio or a lo lower ratio in in terms of timing, depending on how much RAM. I mean, you 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 kind of get more benefit out of it if you've got a system with with a little bit more RAM. The snapshotting also takes advantage of the copy on write because what it does is it puts a uh, a snapshot is basically not a direct copy. It's more of a it's more akin to like a sim link or a hard well more akin to a hard link because as you delete things, if you create a snapshot and then you delete things, however way it happens from the rest of the file system it remains in the snapshot because what you had done is you had taken the snapshot of that file system at that moment. So then if you then go and start deleting things, well, that's when your snapshot starts getting bigger. So your snapshot is only going to get bigger as you delete things in the, the uh, file system that it links from. So it's best, you know, it's, it's useful because it's, uh, it's, like basically automatically collecting the data and then if you have like a if you do a upgrade or something and something catastrophically fails then you can roll back to that snapshot and basically you've got your system right back to the moment now if stuff doesn't get taken away uh your if you if you add stuff to like a, a your home directory or something that's also you know that's not information that you've lost or data that you've lost it's just it's a tool to uh keep you from screwing yourself over so it's really it's beneficial also it it's worth taking time to learn how to manage uh sub volumes 
which is also another component of ButterFS, where they they work kind of like um, they work kind of like directories. They work kind of like partitions, but it's a partition that is directly managed by the ButterFS system itself. So you can you can create ButterFS. You don't even need partitions for ButterFS. It can just sit in the root volume of the file system. I'm going off on this, I know. But then you can create sub-volumes, and then you can, on your F FS table, you can mount those particular sub-volumes to wherever you want them uh, actually mounted on your file system. Like, you can have a sub-volume for your root, you can have a sub-volume for your home directory, and then those sub-volumes can be snapshotted individually or they can be left out of snapshots to keep, you know, the size manageable, you know. So it's it's worth learning. ZFS is is similar in a lot of ways. It's just not it's included with Ubuntu, but it's not in the Linux kernel mm. like the ButterFS file system is. But there's a lot of similarities between wow. the two. Cool. Yeah. Um outside of Linux and technology. Uh, I've been getting back to my uh, Islamic theology and students' lessons with my teacher. I've had a bit of a hiatus for Ramadan, which is uh, interesting stuff. I always feel like I gain some uh, insights. At work, uh, I've taken on two management roles, and I don't think that was the best idea. Uh, I, I, you know, um, I'm the lead for pediatric anesthesia, and I'm also the uh, educational lead, and. Um, I think that probably wasn't the best idea to take both of them. Um, so my way of doing it is to actually cut down some clinical sessions. Um, it will mean a pay hit. Um, so let's see if I can afford it. More responsibility it. Uh, and less pay. You got to love it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I need to see if I can afford it, especially since my wife has decided that it's spring and so we need to do home improvement. Home seems fine to me, but anyway. Uh, there was a small matter of a king being crowned last week. Was uh, and so we had a bank. Yeah, yeah. There's a, we had a bank holiday as a result, which, hey, any day, free day off, I'll take it. I don't mind Charles, actually. Uh, he's a bit wet, but he's all right. But seeing Camilla get crowned was a bit grating. Um, and the other celebrations, like... There's a coronation concert and people told to have lunches and there was a big help out type of thing. It seemed a little bit manufactured, really. Uh, you know, I didn't... When when the Queen, God rest her soul, whenever things used to happen, you know, when she had like a, a platinum jubilee or all this kind of stuff. Yes, obviously things were planned and stuff, but they did get an idea that some of it was like from the heart, as it were, and people actually gave a crap i'm not sure necessarily people did this time round um it seems the real star of the show was uh, a member of parliament called penny morden she held the king's sword which was a uh, this bejeweled sword which was a uh, it's about i think 8 kilos or something and she held it for 50 minutes um, you know, like like a proper sword like this. Do you know what I mean? I mean, she was wearing an outfit which looked like it came out from The Handmaid's Tale, uh, which did accentuate her um, curvaceous figure, shall I put it that way? Um, um, well done. And so um, <laughs> it, 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 there was a lot of jokes going around that this was the Pippa Middleton bum moment of the coronation. So for you Americans who don't maybe don't know, when Prince William got married... Okay, I was just going to check that. When Prince William got married to <laughs> Kate Middleton, all the talk was about Kate Middleton's sister, Pippa Middleton's 
apparently quite fetching rear end. I mean, obviously, I didn't look at... Apparently, yeah, apparently. But I didn't look at any of that kind really? of stuff, obviously. At least not but, when your nah. wife is watching. <laughs> Damn right. Um, right. <laughs> I do so many jokes about Harry and Pippi Mid- Pippa Middleton's backside. Anyway, in the days before Megxit, you know. Um, anyway, uh, I too can be political. And I'm so I'm very happy that after some state elections in India, the Hindu nationalists uh, stroke fascists, depending who you talk to, have lost in Karnataka. So I'm quite happy about that. Uh, they need to lose in a lot more places. Damn right. I hope so, man. I hope so. I really do. Uh, cool. So that's my bit done. But that does it for our bi-weekly wanderings. Let's move into housekeeping announcements. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post to the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram and Discord. Or post directly at https colon slash slash mintcast.org. Our next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, May 28th, 2023. We have a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Our next roundtable live stream at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time, Saturday, May 20th, 2023. There is a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. So let's wrap it up. Joe, where can our listeners find you? Well, I do have a couple other shows that I'm on. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which you can find at linuxlugcast.com. You can send me an email directly. I obviously respond, jb at mintcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee on Kofi. Moss? I do Full Circle Weekly News, Distro Hoppers Digest, in addition to Mintcast. Uh, you can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. I'm on Mastodon as at zyvola at hosttux.social, and my other contact information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill? Well, you can email me at bill at mintcast.org. I'm bill underscore h on Discord. At wchauser3 at fostodon.org on Mastodon. I'm at wchauser3 on Twitter and the same on Facebook as well. Also, check out my other podcast, Linux OTC and Three Fat Truckers. And and I'm available. You can email me on drmajid at mintcast.org. I'm at Atypical Doctor on Twitter, Atypical Anesthetist on Instagram, and the Atypical Anesthetist podcast on Spotify. Links in the show notes. And before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Bill and Joe and any other fine volunteer we can find for our audio editing, archive.org for hosting our audio files, Hobstar for our logo, initrd for the animated Discord logo, Londoner for our time sinks, Bill Hauser for hosting the server which runs our website, website maintenance, and the next cloud server on which we host our show notes and raw audio. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thanks, Clem. 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 And And everyone. And Erwan. It's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. 
You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast.